Welcome to the DPO Download. I'm your host, Monica Statio. Hi, Josh. Hi, Monica. Back to school this week for most of our districts in New York State. <sighs> yeah, it is. The whole week. We're calling it the whole week because it's just different wherever you are. I love the first day, you know, even though we worked in IT when I was in district, but seeing the kids come off the bus, especially at the elementary level, right? They're actually excited to be back and it's really cool and it's a good vibe and, and feel for everybody. It is a good vibe. And I love seeing the moms in the parking lot. They're like, oh, don't take my babies. <laughs> I, know, I, I just put my uh, my youngest as a kindergartner last year. So I did the last first day of school thing. And did you follow always, him to the classroom? Yeah, gosh. no, I stopped at the door, <laughs> said goodbye. But yes, you know, so much excitement about getting back to school. But there's that loss as well. But speaking of exciting, there's a lot going on with K-12 cybersecurity. On August 8th, the Biden-Harris administration had their uh, K-12 cybersecurity summit called Back to School Safely. A lot of resources and an alignment for K-12 schools. Did you watch that by any chance? I did. It yeah, was, me too. It was quite interesting. I really loved the Los Angeles school district yes. superintendent. He was, yep. he was excellent. So if you haven't checked it out, go and search for the Back to School Safely webinar and you can watch it. It's a really nice introduction of why it's so important to have these resources for K-12. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was nice to finally see K-12 getting some attention. You know, we have cybersecurity, but it always seems focused on corporate world. A little bit of higher education, but I feel like K-12 has just been kind of lagging behind. So to have these government organizations get behind K-12 and cybersecurity and really bring it to the forefront, it's a great thing for us. I mean, we fight it every single day. So it's nice to see that we've got some backing at the federal level as well. United States Department of Ed, they put out a really good document and they're aligning themselves with CISA. You know, CISA's got a whole new program for K-12 as well. So a lot of really good things going on to help our DPOs across the state in dealing with not only data privacy, but also part of our role is cybersecurity. So many resources out there, and they're not necessarily all going to cost districts anything either. So that's great to find out. But as usual, you should always check and work with your RIC before you run out and buy one of these resources. Or sign up for it. So who do we got on the docket today for our guest, Josh? So we have a great interview today from our partner in crime, Brittany Rizzo from the Mo Rick. She's part of our uh, Rick One DPSS. Don't you mean partner in cybersecurity, Josh? Uh, yeah. I don't know why I use partner in crime, right? We're, <laughs> we're not black hats here. Yeah. Um, oh, sometimes you like to play one. I do. It's kind of fun <laughs> to dive into that technology. I'm um, sorry. Go ahead. But that's just pretend. That's, that's pretend anyways. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we have Brittany. She did an interview with Watertown Central School District on their incident response tabletops, which we all know a big eye opener, right? When you yeah. do that in Gosh. your districts. Yeah. That's so, ripping the Band-Aid off of your process right yeah, there. Correct. So uh, without further ado, let's go to Brittany and find out about Watertown's Incident Tabletop. All right. Good morning. My name is Brittany Rizzo from the Mohawk Regional Information Center Data Privacy and Security Team. I'm here with Jeff Wood, the Director of Technology, Cybersecurity, and Innovation here at Watertown City School District in upstate New York. So welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So what we're going to kind of talk about today is Watertown City School District went ahead and they did a self-established tabletop 
to test their incident response. So can you kind of just give us a background about your school and and how this kind of came about? Sure. So to go back to how this really manifested itself and to what we ended up with, the school district had a cybersecurity event back in 2019, a ransomware that obviously significantly impacted operations. And as part of that, they had an incident response plan put together by an outside vendor that said, you know, here's what you do in case of this event happens again. Also working very closely with Morick, the Regional Information Center, they came up with some updated systems and plans to try to, you know, an EDR, if you will, that, that they didn't have before, tighter security controls, a better backup system to help remediate going forward. And obviously those things you, you constantly do anyway. But in the time from 2019 when that event occurred to when I was hired in 2020, a lot of things have changed. And then today in 2023, in that time period, a significant amount of systems were automated that actually did not exist at the time of the 2019 incident. And a lot of them have to do with safety and security. So our, our new phone system that's completely, you know, Cisco's phone system that's on the network, our, our PA systems, our visitor management system, which is all security related, our door security and access systems, we're all automated. Looking back and saying, well, we had all these systems that had to do with safety and security for students, and they weren't part of the system in the original, and when the event happened in 2019, we felt that it was necessary to go back and revisit our procedures and processes, plus with employee turnover as well. A lot of people that didn't work here then, they didn't even go through the event, so they weren't even aware of what happened. So we decided we should be doing a tabletop drill to help get us more up to speed. So we're coming into this with the idea that we need to practice this type of exercise like we do with our basic event security. Can you kind of give us an idea of why we came up with the topic that we came up with and how you went through the process of developing what that scenario looked like and how it was going to be presented with the preview, the actual exercise, and then the review at the end? My prior life before I joined uh, Watertown City School in 2020, I, I was a technical manager at our local hospital. So I oversaw this, pretty much the same thing I oversee here, you know, the hardware and software, networking, storage, and cybersecurity. So I've been wearing a cybersecurity hat for a very long time. And not being one that likes to reinvent the wheel, I had a lot of resources I leaned heavily on back then as well as now. In fact, even what the Regional Information Center Morick recommends is you follow the CISA guidelines that are established and the NIST guidelines that are out there to um, help you come up with you know what your plan should be to be as prepared as you can be. So there's a lot of stuff that's in CISA and NIST that has a whole range of templates that you can download and use for a cybersecurity event. So I took a lot of those templates that, especially around K-12 education that they've designed for, instead of reinventing them, and use those templates to come up with something that will work in our school district. What we did then was evaluate where we thought our weaknesses were and to get other people involved in the process. It can't be just IT. Because if it's just IT people, I mean, obviously we understand to a certain extent what our weaknesses are internally within the department. But we may not always be aware of what people are using the systems for every day that is critical to their operation. So we took those templates 
and we pared it down because they can give you different scenarios. Ransomware was our event that we used, that we hit by a ransomware attack. We didn't pick every system. We didn't make it catastrophic. We just took key systems, and I think it was uh, our email system, which is obviously very could be very prone to it. There's no email access. Our main database was down as far as which we use school tool was not available and our file servers and stuff. So access to data. And so those systems aren't, aren't available. You can't use them. So what do you do? And we focused on the initial 24 hour response period, not the whole thing, but what do you do in that first 24 hours and how do you communicate with your stakeholders? And that's what we kind of gave them the directions during the tabletop drill is this event occurred how do you then work with your stakeholders? How do you notify staff? How do you notify the public? How do you notify uh, teachers and administration? How do you notify other leaders in the community that would be helping you, like uh, public safety, law enforcement, that type of thing? Uh, and then how do you communicate at each, you know, the first five hours or the first 10 hours and then the next day type of thing? So that's what we kind of focused on initially. Okay, so because of our previous incident, we had quite a bit of buy-in. So when we came into this exercise, there were a lot of people who were involved mm -hmm. and within this exercise and grouping. So how did you decide what individuals were going to be invited to participate in this activity and how did you decide to pair them out into their work groups? That's a good question. Yeah, we did have a lot of buy-in. In fact, we had a little phishing email come out this morning and it hit a lot of people and they were right on it. So they're very much in tune, which is good. That helps because... And I don't want to say that people who haven't had an incident aren't, but at the same time, because they have, they're just a little more. So that made it a little easier to get volunteers. So basically what I did was I sent out a form to everyone, like a questionnaire format, and said, hey, we're interested in doing this tabletop drill. It's going to take this much time. We said there's going to be two meetings, initial meeting to kind of outline what we're going to do, and then the actual drill itself. So I gave them very clear expectations as to what, their involvement was going to be. actually sent it to the administrators, the principals, and the directors of the different departments and say, can you please provide me with a list of people that you think would be open to this and willing to be a, a good participant that's not just going to sit there and not, not input at all. And we sent that out to about probably 60 or 70 people. And then at the end, we had 40 people that would bond say they would be a participant. How we broke it up was we broke it up by elementary, primary, intermediate, middle, and high school. We lumped the middle and high school into one group because they have very much similar problems in, from an IT perspective. Uh, all the students have email, for instance, that, that type of thing. And then we, the elementary schools, and uh, we put in one group, <clears throat> intermediate school, and another. Broke it down so that each group would have a representation from every support area. So there was a principal in each group, a building secretary from each group, special ed, uh, homeschool coordinators, guidance counselors, and an IT person. So we had an IT person in every group as well. Knowing that we don't operate in a vacuum, we reached out to our partners. Uh, North Country Family Health Clinic has clinics in four of our buildings, a family YMCA, and then our pre-K people as well. We have pre-K in uh, five or six schools. So we reached out to them because they, they're independent. Some of them are independent. And our friends in Morick as well, so that they could participate and help bring in. Because it doesn't really make any sense to exclude anyone and then make sure that all voices are heard. So being involved in this process, I felt sitting in on the group that I was in, there was a lot of 
collaborative discussion from all areas. And I think that it really did open the floor up to the conversation about how it would impact everyone in a different tone and in a different light based on how you support the district. Mm -hmm. So I really did enjoy how each of those groups did have representation from all angles within that area. So my next question is, is now we have all these people sitting at a table that want their voices to be heard. How did you regulate the time so that we could progress at a good rate? How did you come up with how long we spent on each of those sections? That's a good question too. Actually, the template helped a lot. The template I downloaded off the NIST guidelines. It gave you a list of all the different types of questions or scenarios and then what types of questions there would be, you know, how would you do this? How would you do that type of thing? And I had to go through and look at each one and say, okay, in our environment, given the staff that we have, what would this look like? How much time would we have to spend? And part of it is knowing your organization well enough so that if you ask this type of thing, how would you communicate to the public that we're having this event and what would you communicate? How much time would they have to spend on that? Because if I know something that they've already developed, they just need to clean it up a little bit or make it a little more relevant, and it may not take very much time. But if it's something they've never done through, I don't think they've ever gone through, give them more time to spend on those questions. So a lot of it is knowing a little bit about that. Now, what helped also was we had really three meetings prior to the event. The first one was where I introduced it to the administrative cabinet and said, this is what we want to do, sort of the timeline that we're looking at to have this accomplished. And these are the people that we think will be involved. So that was 100% came from me looking at what I was trying to accomplish, my end goal. And then we had another meeting that really wasn't a very long one. It was less than an hour where I went through actually the template and said, okay, here's all the things we're going to work on. How well prepared do you think we are in each of these areas? And got some feedback from them so that I could then hone down the timelines a little bit better for the drill itself. How much time is spent on each part? And then we had another meeting where we brought as many as we could, where we sat down and said, here's what it's going to look like. Here's the outline. What do you think? So, you know, unlike a real disaster, no one would have that kind of preparation, right, to, to actually think about all the things you had to do. But in this case, we do, which is good, because that's the whole point is to try to make people prepared. So there was another piece of this exercise that I thought was very helpful. So in our realm, we always use data to drive innovation moving forward and to make plans um, for future projects to better our ecosystem when we talk about security. So you identified roles in each group. So we had people who kind of started the conversation and we had overseers and they kind of put in tidbits of information that maybe the whole group didn't know about. But we also had one person who was designated as a recorder. Mm And what that person did was they actually took notes on behalf of the conversation that each group was having so that your team in turn could take a look at that and see what each group was talking about and take that data and kind of roll it into a repository. Mm -hmm. So how did that help you guys? Oh, it helps tremendously. I think in any meeting, especially if you're facilitating it, if you have to be the note taker as well as the facilitator, it just kind of distracts you. So it makes it really hard to stay in the conversation. So having a note taker, so we've developed a role. We have a facilitator for each group that basically asks the questions and then help drive it if someone wasn't feeding back. And then you had participants that had the roles of each group, you know, so they could give their feedback. And then you have a note taker. They're not supposed to interject and they're supposed to just take notes 
and gather as much information as possible and then put it into a, um, we use shared Google documents at the time so that we could do it in real time, which you'd want to do in a real life event anyway. And that really makes it go a lot quicker for one thing. And it also makes the notes that they're taking more accurate. Once this exercise had concluded, I mean, we stuck right to our timeline. I think we ended maybe three minutes early, mm -hmm. but everyone was talking throughout this, this process. We had what almost four hours of great content conversation mm -hmm. and a lot of knowledge was shared throughout this piece. What did you find within those notes that those recorders took that you didn't know you didn't know or things that were interesting or that really like maybe we need to spend, you know, an extra five minutes next year on just generically? One of the things that didn't take into account for is you assume as an IT person when you set a system up that everyone's going to 100% use that system going forward. And, and in some cases they do. But I found out, especially in the case of special ed, that some information being stored manually for different reasons, and they're all good ones, by the way, and actually that would have helped them immensely in a downtime incident that they had all these systems. But for them, how do we get to the access to that system or that data quickly, and how do we aggregate what it is that we need in order to facilitate communicating? Other people didn't have that kind of system. They didn't have a downtime procedure, so to speak, for how do I get access to this information in the, if I don't have access to it electronically? How, how would I communicate that? Now, again, as part of that incident that happened in 2019, they didn't have a comprehensive method to communicate with parents and students like they do now. So they have Parent Square now, and they use that for that. And they use it on a, on a regular basis to communicate with everyone. One of the things that came out of this was, I think it made some of the participants think, you know, I really need a disaster call list, for instance, for the department, which they do have that set up. But like everything else, it's the second you print it, it's obsolete. So yes, it's nice to have a hard copy. You print off and you keep it someplace safe so that in the event you need it. But you also need to keep the electronic copy easily accessible and up to date on a regular basis. And that was something else that, that wasn't being done that's on our action items. So following this process, a couple weeks later, we had what you would call a hot wash. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of all came back together and we reviewed the, the hot topics that you found through those recorders. And mm -hmm. what I found was great was that you reviewed all the information that we had covered. We had found where our gaps are and you had listed them out and had asked for people to kind of take ownership to so that we can get improvement in those areas. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we left that meeting with an empty box anywhere. Right. No, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> um, everyone was paying it forward. They were all ready to get ready for the next exercise. They all had buy-in. Mm -hmm. um, and they all were willing, based on the conversations that we had and knowing that there were areas where you know there needed to be improvement, everybody was more than willing to kind of put in that extra five minutes to mm -hmm. get you guys there. How does that make you feel as a district? It's great because I've never had, in any organization I've been in, I've never had the buy-in. I think what helped a little bit, working with educators especially, because you got to think that, you know, 80% of the participants in the, in the exercise are educators, they're instructors, they're teachers, they're assistants, they all, librarians were active in this as well. I 
tried to turn this into a learning event as much as it was just trying to, you know, where are we going to be? So if you make it a learning event and make it, uh, you know, you don't want to say it was fun, right? I mean, it can be fun um, if you like those kinds of things. But if you make it something that they're going to learn something out of it and that they can apply that same concept of collaboration and facilitation that we did with other things that they do, I think that helps a lot. So you mentioned you guys are going to start doing this on an annual basis and make it more of like a routine exercise like we do in other areas and facets of education. If you had a district come up to you and say, hey, we heard this podcast, we heard that you guys did it, it went successfully, what kind of encouraging information would you give to them? I think that if you don't have a big buy-in at the beginning, don't be discouraged because you're going to find some champions out there that may have personally gone through something and they're more and more, more, more than willing to help. Keep it as simple as you can. Keep it, you know, keep the scenario down to, a, you know, just a one or two things. Don't get it too overwhelming because it can be. And focus on one area that you really think that you need help in. But then give a couple of things out there that, you know, it's going to be easy wins for people that they can easily say, yeah, we did that and we'll do that very well. Everybody knows cybersecurity is more about planning and making sure that we're assessing what we, where we stand today and then trying to focus on those things that are the low-hanging fruit that make it the easiest way to help prevent something in the future. Or if you do have something in the future, it's minimal impact as possible. So I'd like to thank you for spending your time with me today and thank you for letting me participate in your tabletop. It was, it was fun. It was a great event. I think we all came out of it with a lot of knowledge. We're all prepared moving forward and I think you're right. I think we can't keep cybersecurity all closed up. I think being able to shed just a little bit of light on it a little bit at a time is really going to open up everybody's eyes and make them more aware that it impacts us more than we actually think it does. Um, so again, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. That district's really got it going on there, Josh. I like how they did that. Yeah, they had a lot of great things and, and definitely some takeaways, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. You know, simple scenarios. You and I know about that. That's really the, don't make it complicated. Just try to keep it as simple as possible for your scenarios. It's the more simple you get it. Like they said, the more you get buy-in from the other stakeholders and more participation, more awareness. So yeah, I totally agree with making that. And I also like the part about do the low hanging fruit, right? Find those easy wins. Easy wins. That's the word right there. I liked that one. Easy wins. I feel like we hear low hanging fruit all the time, but easy wins. I like that. And We hear about this a lot, especially with cybersecurity, October is cybersecurity month, right? And they always say champions. And Jeff talks about find the champions in your district at each school. Try to find a champion who will help you spread that message. And one thing that we talk about a lot is planning, you know, your incident response planning. It is hard to get everybody to the table, but that's really your best defense against cybersecurity is plan for it and assess and see where you're at. So I think that Jeff did a great job summoning up, you know, those things that you have to do to be prepared for cybersecurity. You can spend a lot of money, you can buy a lot of tools, but if you're not doing those four things, 
you're still leaving yourself vulnerable. So I think you did a great job. And I think you said that it can't just be on the IT team, right? So you got to have other people being aware of what that actually is and that process is just so they can assist and be part of the solution when it comes time for those kind of things. Yeah, because really IT plays such a small part. Sounds crazy, but they do play a small part when it comes to incident response. All right. Well, great month, Josh. Yeah, excellent. And we really want to thank Brittany and Jeff for joining us on this month's DPO download. Next month is October, Monica. What's October? October is Cybersecurity Month. Gearing up to make sure we have cybersecurity awareness all throughout the whole month. And it'll be no different here on the DPO download. We hope to bring some guests for you. They'll definitely give you some insight and some resources that you can do in your district during the whole month. All right, my friend. As always, it's been a pleasure working with you this month on this DPO download, Josh. And we will see you all next month.